what a great day to be together. People on the lawn, people online, people in the gathering space, we get to be in here. I'm guessing you all woke up this morning with the same stirring in your spirit that I did. This is Ascension Sunday. Isn't that amazing? Who, who have you thought this morning? It's like Christmas, only in reverse. You know what I mean? Christ, who had been raised from the dead for 40 days, appears to his disciples before he ascends into heaven where he rules and reigns and sits at the right hand of the Father until he comes again to make everything new and to make everything right. This is Ascension Sunday. It's also the seventh Sunday, if you count time like this, in the season of Eastertide. The lilies are long gone. College graduation, tulip time, Mother's Day have all gone into hibernation, but we're still shouting, Christ is risen. Well done. And of course we are. That's what matters most. That's what matters more. Christ broke free from the three-day prison offering us life and freedom and hope to shine the light into every version of darkness this world has to offer and our sin creates. When we say Christ is risen, we're actually announcing the loss you carry and the hurt you have, the pain you know and the anxiety that knows you is gasping for its last breath because Christ breathes on. Christ breathes still so you can breathe too when things don't go the way you think they should or wish they had. When we say Christ is risen, we're announcing the past you can't change and the word you can't unsay and the action you can't undo and the memory you wish didn't exist of that time and place you'd rather not go back to have lost their grip on your soul so you can let it slide through your fingers too. When we say Christ is risen, we're announcing not just an event that happened in the past, but a current reality and a future hope. Am I the only one getting worked up on the seventh Sunday in the season of Easter time? Since we're having fun, how about a little poetry? Uh, the poet preacher John Donne. This is a poetic version of trash talk. Death, be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom think thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death. Nor yet canst thou kill me from rest and sleep, which but thy pictures be. Much pleasure then from thee, much more must flow. And soonest our best men with thee do go, rest of their bones and souls delivery. Thou art slave to fate, chance, kings, and desperate men, and dust with poison, war, and sickness dwell. And poppier charms can make us sleep as well, and better than thy stroke, why swellest thou then? One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death, thou shalt die. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Since this is the seventh Sunday of the season of Eastertide, how about we let the preacher preach? John Chrysostom, the fourth century preacher, hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. Man, that's awesome. For 40 days between Christ's resurrection and his ascension, he appeared to his disciples. 
This was not some one and done kind of encounter. For six weeks, he had been showing up to his disciples. I want you to listen with me to an account of the last time they saw him in the flesh. From my vantage point, just to clue you in, this is a story about power. Who has it and what's it for? This is from the book of Acts. When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that have been set by the Father's own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he said this, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. As they were standing there, gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men dressed in white robes stood among them and said, Men of Galilee, why are you staring up towards heaven? This Jesus who went to heaven will come again in the same way that he left. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Acts 1, 6 through 11, if you want to find it in a Bible near you. By the way, if you find my Bible, which I left somewhere in this sanctuary, bring it back. It's got my name on it. Uh, We read this passage uh, on Monday night. We met as a council, the elders, deacons, and pastors, the group that regularly meets to try to steward the work of God's spirit uh, in our life. I read this passage with them, Acts 1, 6 through 11, and asked them for their reflections so that I could steal this sermon. So if you don't like it, take it up with somebody else. Uh, One person reflected uh, on the spectacle of it all. I mean, can you imagine the scene? The resurrected Christ shows up in the flesh. He's lifted up, which is a crucifixion echo, and a cloud descends, much like the cloud of fire, or the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke in the Old Testament, and he's taken away. Can you imagine it? Now, somebody else noticed that phrase, it's not for you to know. She said, but I like to know. I want to know. I can be more helpful when I know. And Jesus says, sometimes it's not for you to know. Now, somebody else noticed the echo that the ascension story is to the resurrection narrative. In each case, two men in white robes show up, which is shocking, and they ask essentially the same question. Why are you looking here? In the resurrection account, it's why are you looking for the living among the dead? And in the ascension account, it's why are you staring up towards heaven? We didn't make any meaning of it. We just thought it was fascinating. I'll let you make the meaning of it around your dinner tables this afternoon. I'm sharing all of this with you, one, to get in good with the elders and deacons, and two, because the ascension story is so glorious, we'll never come to the end of it. So let me just, just give me permission to share one thing. Doesn't that sound like a great sermon? Finally, he has only one thing to say. This 
is a story about power. Who has it and what's it for? Jesus says to the disciples, you will receive power. Doesn't that feel good? You will receive power. The way the word sounds as Luke wrote it in the book of Acts, like this, dunamis, which is the word from which we get our word dynamite. It's like, it's like Luke is suggesting we're all a, 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 a gospel explosion waiting to happen. We love power. We don't talk about it like that. But we're into it like that. We gloss over our lust for power with virtue language. I was just trying to help. I think it'd be better. The disciples were doing the same thing. Is this the time you'll restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, now do we get to have the power? It's staggering to me, you know? They'd walked with him, and they'd talked with him. They'd followed him along, and they heard him say, the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. And yet now they're talking about power. They'd heard him say, blessed are the poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, and now they're talking about power. They'd watched him inaugurate the kingdom by way of a cross and a grave, but here, 40 days after the resurrection, they're talking about power. Is this the time? You'll restore the kingdom to Israel. There was this long expectation that when the Messiah would come, he'd restore Israel to its supreme place in the world among the nations. Israel meant to bless the world, but still had themselves situated atop the world. Is this the time? You'll restore the kingdom to Israel? Power. Jesus, born of the virgin, takes on the infant life, suffers and dies, goes to the grave, and 40 days after the resurrection, they're talking about power. It's staggering to me. You know what's also staggering to me? 2,000 years later, we're still doing it. That's what's behind the vitriol of our public discourse, the arguing and the yelling. You know what it's about? It's about power. That's the source of that stirring emotion inside of you when someone contradicts you, questions you, demeans you. Have you ever felt that feeling? You know what that's about? It's about power. That's what's going on when the teenager becomes a teenager, turns young adult, and now is renegotiating the terms of the relationship with mom and dad. Who has the last word? Who's in control? It's about power. What's that phrase we use? Um, How does it go? Lead, follow, or get out of the way. It's about power. Staggering to me, Jesus walks among us showing us what this kingdom's all about. 
And then 40 days after the resurrection, they ask, is this the time? Finally, do we get to be in power? No wonder he left. No wonder he just took off. I'm kidding, by the way. That's not what the ascension (laughs) is about. He didn't chastise them. He reorients them. He, He recalibrates their hearts. He invites them back to what's really real. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that have been set by the Father's own authority. There it is again, power. Jesus recalibrates their hearts to what's really real, the Father's authority, God. God who spoke the world into existence in the beginning. God who whispers and the sun shines and the mountains climb and the ocean's tide. God. All power that we... It's not bad. By the way, power in and of itself isn't bad. It's what we do with it, what we think it's for, and what means we're willing to employ to accomplish it where things start to fall apart. And the gospel from beginning to end is announcing over and over, God... God, God is, God does, God acts. Isn't this what the psalmist was getting at? Why do the nations conspire? And the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and his anointed. He who sits in the heavens laughs. God. This is what Jesus said to Pilate. You would have no authority if it had not been given to you from my Father in heaven. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism says. I'm sure you read it this morning. (laughs) We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in God's hand That without his will, they can neither move nor be moved. God. Uh, Some theologians critique American Christianity with these two words, practical atheism. We say we believe in God, but we live as if God doesn't exist. Practical atheism. And the Bible from beginning to end keeps saying over and over, God, God. So this is a wedding season. I I don't know if you think about it like that. Uh, But we do. From Mother's Day to Thanksgiving Day, there are like 26 weddings here at Pillar. That's a lot. That's a lot of weddings. Brides and grooms making their big plans for their big days. Big day. It's Amazing, And sometimes the parents of the bride and groom also get in on the planning. That's when it gets really interesting. <laughs> and then uh, you throw in a wedding coordinator and a photographer and a bride and a groom and a couple of parents and, a, say, a pastor, and it becomes a cocktail that will leave you nauseous the next day. A uh, couple weeks ago, by the way, I'm not talking about any of you in here. Really, I'm not. A couple of weeks ago, a mother of a bride asked if she could meet with me before the wedding. That is a very, very bad sign. (laughs) 
we actually had a delightful conversation. She was filling me in on some complicated details that I, she thought I should know. And, and towards the end of the conversation, she said, do you have any advice for me? Which I thought was a really generous question. I also thought to myself, no. <laughs> uh, but I did say, you know, in my experience, the, the, the mother of the bride that has the best experience is the one who can kind of let go of, are they standing just right there? Where's the tape? And, and fluff the dress just right now. And could just stand, okay, look, you know, when you could just release control just a little bit and enter into the beauty and the mystery and the wonder of two people becoming one flesh. And she looked at me like, don't mess this up, man. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if we're not a little bit like parents of a bride at a wedding. I want it to go just like this. It's got to go just like that. Could you move over just a half step? What if, what if we released control? Still care, of course, care. Of course, be responsible. Yes, yes, steward, of course, all of these things. But don't forget God. God is, God acts, God's real. So you can, it's not for you to know what's been set by the Father's own authority. Jesus didn't chastise them. He reorients them. And then he sends them. You will receive power. There it is again. So you go from, is now the time? To the Father's authority. To you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That's what it's for. To witness to the beauty of Jesus Christ to a watching world, yeah, yeah. to witness to the wonder of his heart of love for every nook and cranny of the globe and the universe, to witness to the one who loves us so much he gave his life for us, died, took his own life to forgive and rose up in resurrection so that you can have life. Witness to that one yeah, is the idea. You'll be my witnesses. You'll have power to witness which I just think is staggering. Jesus was poking around, actually, at a cultural custom when the emperor would take, a new emperor would take the throne, he would send his ambassadors out into every corner of the empire to announce there's a new king in town. There's a new way, a new order, a new rule. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and sends out the disciples to be witnesses, he's playing with that cultural custom, announcing now, I'm the Lord of lords, I'm the King of kings, and you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, the center of religious life. In Judea, the center of economic life in agrarian society. Samaria, where the hated enemies lived, witness there. And to the ends of the earth, everywhere you go, with everyone you meet, witness, be my witnesses, offer back the beauty of my heart for the world. The witness, hang with me here, the witness is not a doctrine or a dogma, but a virtue of character. The fruit of the Spirit is Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's not just what we say, it's how we say it. Yeah. It's not just what we do, it's how we do it. Yeah. 
This is why Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. This is why the Gandhi, you know that name, Gandhi? His critique of us is so devastating. His critique of Christianity, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. But wait, I thought we were witnesses to his heart for the world. I got a text during the first service, which is a foul, by the way. Someone listening to the sermon from a mission inside, a demographic tool, one of the top two reasons non-Christians across the U.S. don't come to church, Christians don't act like Jesus. But wait, you're my witnesses. Frederick Buechner has a fairly scathing critique too. Is it okay? Can I push a little bit? I read this for devotions (laughs) on Friday morning. What a bummer of a devotion for you, actually, because now it's showing up in the sermon. He was talking about the lesser gods that roam the world, you know, the lowercase g gods, economics, politics, and stuff. And even he refers to the god of the church, lowercase g, not the god god, but the lowercase g. Talking about them dying because of the reign of Christ, the gods dying. We must not leave out from this role of the dying what often passes for the god of the church the God who sanctifies our foreign policy and our business methods, our political views and our racial prejudices, the God who, bless him, asks so little and promises so much, peace of mind, the end of our inferiority complexes, go to church and feel better, the family that prays together stays together. Not everybody can afford a psychiatrist or two weeks of solid rest in the country, but anybody can afford this God. He comes cheap. But wait wait, you'll be my witnesses, reflecting back to God, the beauty, to the the world, the beauty of my heart. What is grace if we don't name sin? Is there justice if you don't name inequity? Is there mercy if we don't move towards pain? We hold them together. Naming the honest realities of our broken world and offering the light of Christ there. You can push back on me if you want, maybe some other time. It seems to me we tend in one of two directions. Either we hold the Orthodox Christian faith like a weapon, a sword and a spear to punish, or we offer the world some feckless Christianity that has no expectations, carries no demands, and is really just about a bunch of people getting along a little bit better for a little bit longer. But wait, you'll be my witnesses. Are you hanging with me? I got an email on Friday from my friend Rick Lyons letting me know that Tim Keller died. I don't know if you know that name. Tim Keller was a pastor out in New York. The news, it, I was surprised at how emotional it was for me. Tim Keller planted a church in New York 30 years ago. Redeemer Presbyterian. By the late 80s, there were like 200 people there, which is kind of big for a New York City church, which is super ironic, isn't it? <laughs> By like the late 90s, it, 
was like 500 or 600. My numbers are probably a little off. And then 9-11 happened. The world was devastated. New York City was rocked, and people flocked to Redeemer Presbyterian Church. And Tim Keller became a spokesperson for Christianity in America. The guy's brilliant. A great communicator, a phenomenal preacher, a pastor's heart. Somehow, even though he became a big-name kind of guy, he avoided all the scandals that big-name kind of people so often fall prey to. In this polarized, politically polarized world, somehow he navigated it all with such grace and tenderness. He never got pinned or pegged as one or the other, always pointing us to the one, Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he was a missionary at heart, really. And he, he thought the church actually was a missionary agency in our increasingly secularized world. He loves, loved the lines from Christopher Wright, God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission, you know. Uh, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer three years ago, a vicious version of cancer that, where the life expectancy is three years. He was interviewed after his diagnosis about it. He said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately God is going to put everything right. Suffering is going to go away. Evil's going to go away. Death is going to go away. Aging's going to go away. Pancreatic cancer is going to go away. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ did not happen, then I guess all bets are off. But if it actually happened, then there's all the hope in the world. His son tweeted out Friday morning after his dad died, Timothy Keller, husband, father, grandfather, mentor, friend, pastor, and scholar, died this morning at home. Dad waited until he was alone with mom. She kissed him on the forehead, and he breathed his last. See you soon, Dad. Keller was known to repeat a phrase with some regularity. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You'll be my witnesses to that one. The one whose love and acceptance, even though we're broken and sad, knows no ends and has no bounds. You'll be my witnesses. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. That's what it's for. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.